before I retired, I, I did a lot of preaching, obviously, for 40 years, and um, I was reflecting on that and thought about what did I really tell anybody and what sort of topics did I deal with, etc. And whilst I, I hope and trust I dealt with some very important topics, I kind of thought that I probably didn't really speak specifically about Jesus enough. Now, Jesus was Lord, included in everything I was doing, but there was just that sense of focus. And um, I've been trying to make up, <laughs> make up for it. So when I get the opportunity, and uh, this is an opportunity, I want to draw your attention and my attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And so this evening, I want to uh, take you to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. And uh, we'll read that together. Then I'll look at that with you for the next 30 minutes, all things being equal. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is a very well-known passage of Scripture. Jesus Christ and the old King James says, Jesus Christ, the same. And the newer translations say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this statement presupposes or begs the question, what was he like yesterday? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. So what was he like well, he was extraordinary. <laughs> I want to take you to his pre-incarnate state just for a few minutes. And let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 2. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these last days or final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance and through the Son, He created the universe and through the Son, He created the universe. One commentator says that Jesus or the Word was the means to the creation of the universe. Without Jesus, there was no universe. Now, of course, the Father and the Spirit was engaged in that, but Jesus was the primary agent through which all that there is, is. But before time and before creation, there was only God. There was nothing. There was nothing, nothing. Not something or some particle, there was nothing. There was God. In the beginning was God. Now I think it's difficult, it is for me, and I think probably for all of us, it's difficult to understand or conceive of nothing. Because we are so used to being surrounded by something. Everything we see, feel, touch, smell, taste, etc., came into being and was made from, if I can use that term, nothing. 
Jesus, the primary agent in the creation, spoke. And from nothing created everything. Now we know that. It's hard to get your head around. Whether you believe in an old earth or a young earth, the bottom line is he created it. By the word of his mouth and by his purpose. Now, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. We're briefly looking at that yesterday. So what was he like yesterday? Well, unimaginably, unfathomably, profoundly great, profoundly powerful, such that at his very will and word, everything came into being. As they send more telescopes up into space, they're finding that the universe is greater than we first thought. This vast universe with all its complexities and all the minutia in it was spoken into being by Christ. And so the next time you're struggling, I encourage you to think about his capacity. There was nothing. He spoke and then there is everything and within everything, the extraordinary potential. And we're seeing constantly the fulfillment of the potential. Let's then go on and look at his earthly ministry. Same yesterday. When he was walking on the earth, let's look at some scriptures together very, very briefly to help build up this picture of the Lord. You get to know somebody by observing their behavior, their actions, and what they say. That's true of you and I. We get to know what someone is like by looking at what they do and hearing what they say. And so when we look at the Gospels, with the help of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when we look at the Gospels, we see Jesus functioning, acting, and speaking, showing us what he was like and perfectly reflecting the Father. In chapter six of Luke, there was this guy with the withered hand. You remember the story? He was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus was present and so were some of the religious leaders of the day who were looking to trap him in some sort of fault. But Jesus was more concerned about the brokenness of this man and his circumstances rather than the fulfillment of the 600 plus laws that those people had put together plus the Torah. And Jesus 
despite what people's opinion of him would be and what problems it could cause him, spoke to the man, reach out your hand, and in the doing, he was healed. Then there was the centurion. You remember him? By and large, the Roman legions and empire were anathema to the people of God, the Jewish nation. Although this guy had some kudos with him because he was God-fearing and he was helping them with their synagogue. His servant was gravely ill. Came to Jesus, had a wonderful conversation about, I'm under authority and I understand. And Jesus said to him, no greater faith have I found in all of Israel. What did Jesus do? Did Jesus say, sorry, it's not convenient for me to heal your servant. It's not appropriate that I do by virtue of the fact of who you are and what you represent. No, because of the need and because of his love, he sent his word and the man's servant was healed. Jairus, daughter. Jairus, a synagogue leader. His daughter, a young kid, was gravely ill on the verge of death. The verge of death. So when you get old, it just gets difficult. He came to Jesus and begged for his help. What did Jesus do? Immediately, he responded and began to go toward his house, clearly to deal with the situation. In the meantime, a messenger came from Jairus' house to tell Jairus and then Jesus that the daughter had passed away. Jesus said, continue to believe. And they both went down to the house and Jesus went in to the room, took two of his disciples with him and said, as the people, the hired mourners were watching, she's not dead, but merely sleeping. And they laughed at him in derision, laughed him to scorn. Did it stop him? No. Jesus raised her from the dead and it's a fantastic line in that scripture when you read it. In Luke 8, it says, when she was raised, he said, now give her something to eat. That's very personal and very particular. Jesus is like that. On the way to Jairus' house, there was a woman who'd been suffering from years and years with a major hemorrhaging disorder. It says she spent all her money on the physicians at the time and got no help whatsoever. And she said, if I but just touch the hem of his garden, I shall be made whole. She did that and Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples basically said, are you kidding? Because there's a huge throng around him. He said, no, I felt virtue leave me. And that virtue healed the woman. That woman, friends, was unclean because of her issue of blood in respect of the Jewish law. She should not have been there. Her desperation drove her to that place. Did it stop Jesus? Did Jesus legalistically respond to her? You shouldn't be here. 
I can't help you. No, because of who he is and also because of what he could do, he ministered to her and released her from her bondage. You see, we're looking at the scripture, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. This is what he was like. About the man born blind. It's, there's this interesting kind of to and fro going on with, the, with this man born blind. It's, he got healed. He was healed on the Sabbath. There was a bit of a to-do about it. They bring in the parents. Is this your son? Yes, the son. How he got healed, I don't know, because they were scared that they're going to kick him out of the synagogue and be outside of the, the nation. What did Jesus do? He healed him. Set him free. It says, and the man said this to the religious leaders, no one ever has been healed who was born blind. It's the same now. He healed him. What about the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000 with a stinking kid's lunch? A few sandwiches, if you like, loaves and fish. He said, they've been with me for three days. They'll faint on the way home. Give them something to eat. The disciples said, are you joking? I looked it up in the Hebrew. Are you joking? And the Greek and the Swahili. Are you joking? He took the bread. He took the fish. He blessed it. And with those handful of food, he managed miraculously to feed 4,000 men, women and plus the women and children, 5,000 men plus women and children. Now, I've read that scripture in my lifetime, I guess hundreds of times, and perhaps you have too, dozens and hundreds of times. What happens is you read it, you become so familiar with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've read that. But when you sit for a few minutes and begin to meditate on it and begin to reflect on this scripture and understand that with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish, he fed thousands of people. That's incredible, isn't it? It's phenomenal. What about his mastery over nature? <clears throat> the storm at sea, Luke 8. The disciples were in a boat, they're going. Jesus is in, in the forepart of the boat asleep. An unbelievable storm ensues. The disciples in a panic cry out to Jesus and shake him and say, wake up, don't you really care about what's going on? Now, these were seasoned fishermen. These men had been in that lake, goodness knows how many times, since children to adulthood. That was their living. It must have been a serious storm. By the way, they've responded and reacted. Jesus stands up, has a word to them about their faith, and then speaks to the storm, peace be still, Extraordinary, but if you created the world, 
the disciples' response was this. Who is this? Read it in the different translations. One translation says, what manner of man is this? God, as if he wasn't man. Man, as if he wasn't God. Jesus Christ. That's who he was. The same yesterday. Well, how does that help you and me today if he was the same yesterday? Well, we'll see soon. Have you ever read the account of the woman of Nain? Do you know in, in chapter 7 of Luke, there's this funeral procession coming out. And it says that this was a woman who was a widow and this is her only son. She had no possible means of support given the nature of society as it was in those days. This was a desperate person. And they're coming out and Jesus is here with his disciples and is confronted by this scene. For all intensive purposes, an impossible situation. But Jesus is the master of the impossible. And he raises the lad up and gives him back to his mother. And when you read this, there's a most beautiful line. Before he heals the boy, he says to the woman, woman, don't cry. Very, very personal. Very, very intimate. Very, very tender. We think sometimes that God is just kind of, no, no. Don't cry. His power over the evil one. The demoniac who was out in the wilderness in caves and holes and building and beating himself up, a rejective society. And Jesus deliberately goes him to him. You know, Jesus did nothing except that the father told him to do. He just didn't do anything by chance. Everything he did was deliberate and purposeful, and God-directed, Father-directed. He comes to this man and sets him free. There's a whole issue of the, of the pigs and stuff, and he gets set free. And having set this man free from this horrendous demonic oppression and possession, the man in his gratitude says to Jesus, please, can I go with you? Jesus says, no, go home to your family. And tell him what marvelous things God has done for you this day. He's interested in people. He was interested in that man. He was interested in that man's family. What about his love? Ever read the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11? Lazarus is gravely ill and Mary and Martha, his sisters, send a message to Jesus and the first thing they say is, Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. Do 
There's a clear example. There's others. There's a clear specific example of Jesus having exuded love and and witnessed and, and given love to these people that they could say back to him, the one you love is sick. Waited four days, it's a whole different sermon. He raised him from the dead and it's interesting, before he did, the onlookers who'd come to Bethany from the city said, see how much he loves him as he wept outside of Lazarus' grave. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this. He laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I ask. He's teaching the people and showing the people in his day on earth how much he loved them by word and by demonstration. This is how he was when he walked upon the earth. There's an interesting scripture that just seems such a throwaway line and you find it in Luke 12. It says, and the very hairs of your head are numbered. That'd be an interesting thing for someone to say to you. He has a very sophisticated stock taking system, apparently, for some of us who have less than we had before. What does that mean? Is that, is that just, what is that, padding? I mean, did, did Luke have a moment and just that, uh, I don't know what to say. And, no, everything in scripture is inspired by God. It's there for purpose. There, there's purpose in that scripture. What it's basic, it's hyperbole, yes. But what it's saying is, Jesus is interested in the most minute details of one's life. That's why he said it to them. And in fact, by implication, when he was speaking to those people at that time, he actually knew more about them than they knew about themselves. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday. Well, as I said before, how does that help us now? Well, you see, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today. The same. He's the same now. Now, the same. Hasn't changed. So what he was like to the people in Palestine when he walked around for those years and ministered and spoke and did and so what he was like, he's exactly the same this moment. His divine capacity His unbridled power. His compassion 
his indescribable love that he showed to them, demonstrated to them, spoke to them about, plus is the same now. The Apostle John was so overwhelmed by what Jesus did and said that in the, the conclusion of his gospel said, if I recorded everything Jesus did and said, there wouldn't be enough books. And that's again hyperbole, but it's making a point. So phenomenal was Jesus, but he's the same now. The same capacity, power to, to speak from nothing, everything is the same now. He's here now. Now. That kind of incomprehensibly great power and authority is here now by his spirit. Now, but what about next week, next year, tomorrow? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same, the same as what? Well, the same as he's always been. He will always be the same as he is and he was. It's mysterious to some degree. But the scriptures teach us that and the Holy Spirit gives us an inner witness that this is true. And so when you embark upon your tomorrow, he'll be the same. And should you hit a wall tomorrow, that divine power that said, let there be, will be with you and in you, more amazingly. Jesus Christ is the same. He cannot change. Just as a point of interest, if you've got time, study the doctrine of immutability. It's the doctrine of the fact that God doesn't change in his nature and his being. It's a wonderful study and it's greatly encouraging to one's faith. He'll walk you into your tomorrow, friends. And what's interesting is he knows what's in your tomorrow and he'll cause you to be victorious in it because of his love, compassion, power, authority, etc., etc., etc. Often when I speak or have in the past, I often refer to the scripture in Romans 2.11. It says this, God has no favorites. There is no favoritism with God. That's a profoundly important scripture. It's just like a little thrower line in Romans 2.11. It's in a couple of other places in Paul's writings, but it's just so amazing 
to think about. Because sometimes we think that, well, yeah, I, I think that God would help Robbie, but I'm not so sure about me. Well, you see, he has no favorites. What he was to all those people that we read about and all the thousands of people we couldn't read about because they couldn't be written down, he's, what he was to them is, is exactly to us now and will be tomorrow. It's no favoritism. Good to know. Good to know. And so he'll take us into tomorrow. Victoriously. Enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. I'm encouraged by that. That's why the Apostle Paul says in in Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Jesus said that too. Paul says, be anxious for nothing but everything in prayer and thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Why? Because he's the same. It, it's unfair to say something like that if, if there's no, nothing to, to base it upon. Well, he's the same. The same profoundly wonderful, great Lord. Well, anyway. It's about it, really. The one who spoke the universe into existence is more for you than all that can be against you. Apostle Paul said in Romans 8 that nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ. Nothing. Paul writes to Ephesians. He said this, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can hope or think, depending on which translation you read. Can do exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably more than at your highest point of imagination, he is able to do more. What's more, not only is he able, he is willing. Amen.